Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this day, the Lord's day we've gathered in your house to worship. And now, Lord, we're going to get into your word, and we're going to hear from the throne room. We're going to hear from your inspired, inerrant, infallible, completely true word. And it's going to feed us, because that's what your word does. So, Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. If I told you this morning your salvation is not complete, what would you say? Huh? What? I might, somebody might start throwing rocks. The elders might take me out back and stone me, because there's some rocks back there, by the way. But your salvation is not complete. Bear with me for just a moment. The Bible describes in the New Testament our salvation in three phases. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Big theological words. You just need to simply understand that justification is when you come to Christ. You receive him as your Lord and Savior. You are justified. You are made right with God. Then you spend your life growing. The Bible calls that sanctification. Where you're growing in your relationship. But then there is part three. And we have not experienced it yet. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see it in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 14. This is what the scripture calls glorification. This is still future. When Jesus died on the cross, he came to redeem everything, all And there's a part that we haven't experienced yet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll start with verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Here it is, guys. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. You're going to get a new body one day. You're going to get a brand new, imperishable, eternal body. When? No man knows the day nor the hour, but we know its future, but the rapture. When Jesus Christ returns for his bride. You know, one day, there's there's going to be no more church on Sunday mornings. Because there's coming a day in the future. We don't know what that day is. We don't know when that day is. But Christ will return. There's over 300 promises in the New Testament that attest to this truth that Jesus Christ will come again. And he's coming again in the rapture. And I want to bring up 1 Corinthians tying the the rapture to our new body. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. Maybe having some issues back there. So I'll just read it to you. But talking about Jesus Christ, he's going to come back to earth in the rapture. What's going to happen to your physical body? What's going to happen to it? 
The answer to that question is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55, where Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? My friend, the Lord has one more enemy in our life to defeat. And that is death itself. Yep, there it is. That is death itself. I hate death. You know, we, we, my father passed away this year. It hurt. It's difficult. And I know many people here have had loved ones pass away. It hurts. And there's this sting in death because it's unnatural. Because the one that you love and you care for and that you're doing life with, they're gone. So there's this sting to it. But one of the reasons Jesus came, the main reason he came when he died on the cross, was to forgive us of our sins to give us this new life, and to restore things back to the way they were at the garden. Eternal life. Think about that. No more death. Do you see what the Bible offers? These are huge claims that anybody in this world, I don't care what religion, Christian, atheist, whatever person, wherever you're from, consider the claims of the Bible Because the claims are huge. Eternal life. Eternal life. What an amazing thing. There'll come a day one day where I will not have to worry about that sting. Because I'll have a brand new glorified body. But Christ has one more enemy to defeat. It's the promise of scripture that Christ will return. That is the theme of the book of Thessalonians, which is the new book we're beginning to study this morning. And check this out. Each chapter... And the book of 1 Thessalonians ends with a promise of Christ's return. If you're, if you're taking notes, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 refers to the return of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And chapter 5, verse 23. It is, it is one of the themes of, of the book of Thessalonians. And we're going to study verse by verse through Thessalonians, but we are going to slow down when we get to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and rapture. And I'm going to teach you about the rapture. I'm going to present to you the views. There's the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all kind of different views. And then I'm going to tell you what Calvary Chapel's view is and explain to you why we believe how we see the, uh, the, 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 the timing of the rapture in relation to the tribulation. But we're going to talk a lot about that. So we're going to go verse by verse, but don't worry. We're going to dig deep into his return and the rapture when we get to chapter 4. We may spend two or three weeks on uh, chapter 4. But for this morning, let's begin our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
Now, I believe what Paul is doing here, if you study this, there's, there's, um, there are... There are, there are um, 12 verses here, and Paul's working his way up to talk about the return, where it says Jesus um, comes to save us from the wrath to come. So these opening verses, I believe what he, he's praising the church at Thessalonica, but I also believe he's saying this is how to be ready. There's nothing more important than being ready to meet God. There's nothing more important than knowing in your heart of hearts that you're right with God and that when you step into eternity or when Christ returns in the rapture, that you'll be with him. And I believe that's what he's establishing here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you want to be ready, looking at verse 1, the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure this, that as the Thessalonians were, you want to make sure that you are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ you want to make sure that you are connected, that you are a believer in them. God becomes your father when you believe in his son. The Lord, as, 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 he's, as he beautifully states here, this magnificent title of Christ Jesus, where he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the word Lord means uh, kyrios. It means he's your master. That means Jesus is Lord of your life. It means he has dominion over you. He's your sovereign Lord. You've surrendered to him in your life. And we say Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus Christ must be Lord of your life. And then he must be your Savior. He must be your Savior. That word Savior is, is he is your deliverer. In other words, what you're trusting, you are believing and trusting in what he did at Calvary saves you and delivers you from the penalty of sin. He is your, he is your deliverer. So that's the first thing he says here. And then this, he says, Paul, Silvanus, this is Silas, by the way, uh, Silvanus and Timothy. Uh, Paul does not want to um, hog the spotlight as he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. We know from the book of Acts that, that Silas and Timothy were there with him. And so Paul is giving due credit to the men that were with him that helped establish this, this church at Thessalonica. And unlike many of the other churches, we see uh, corrective letters written to the church in Galatia, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Ephesus. But what we see at the church at Thessalonica, he's praising them. He, he's praising them. And he's saying, hey, guys, you're doing a great job. Let's look at it, starting in verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Why is Paul being thankful? Why is Paul being thankful to them? If you read the rest of the book, because they're living out this truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. They have repented, they have believed, they have received and they are walking in light of it. Christ is, is with them, he's in them, and he's working through them. And Paul is very thankful. And there's nothing that brings a pastor, a shepherd, a Bible study leader's uh, heart more joy than when he sees the people he's discipling and teaching and instructing to. They get it. They understand it. And they're living out their lives for Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Makes a pastor's heart sing. Makes him lay his head on his pillow at night and sleep in peace when he knows that the body is growing. And that's what we want for all people. 
We want for all people to grow in their relationship. That should be the goal of every church, every pastor, every Bible study leader, every Christian who's in some type of ministry, is we want people to grow. We want people to grow in their relationship with Christ. And it brings us great joy. Not that we've done anything, but that the person is surrendering to Jesus Christ. And they're living for him. Let's look at verse 3. So he's thankful for them. And he's going to break it down here. What what he sees in them that makes him thankful in verse 3. He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of God and Father. Do you see the triad of the Christian virtue there? Which is what? Faith, hope, and love that Paul talks about back in Corinthians in the love chapter. But the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. Now Paul is looking at the body at the church at Thessalonica. And, he, and he's attributing that to their, to their ministry. He says, um, constantly bearing in mind, number one, is their work of faith. Their work of faith. You know, faith is important. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Three times in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38 says this, the righteous shall live by faith. So what is faith? That's important. What, is, what does the Bible say faith is? Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of of things not seen. Faith is, is um, receiving and resting in Christ alone for salvation. That's what faith is. As is, is you receive him, you're trusting in your hearts at rest, knowing that you're right with the Lord because your faith, your trust, your belief is in him. Faith is also believing his promises. All the promises in the scripture are yes and amen. They're for us to claim, to, to read, to believe, to receive, to, to walk in. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith is being certain that God will do what he says he will do. I know for certainty. I know for a fact. I'm absolutely convinced. You can't change my mind. I know, know that I know that I know that I know one day he will come again. One day he will split that eastern sky in all his glory. And the angels will gather up his people. And it's called the rapture. And we'll talk more about it in chapter 4. But I know that I know that I know that it's going to happen. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us going. Ephesians 3.20 says, uh, Now to him who is able to do, a f- to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Faith is not only believing God and and, and trusting him for the eternal promises, but it's also faith is for this life. Faith is for this life. As we read scripture, we believe his word, and, and, and we just believe the Lord that he is going to take care of us, that he's going to draw back that wayward child, or that he's going to help that person in need, or he is going to provide for you in a situation where you have no means to provide, where you just say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to walk by faith. I don't see the provision. I don't see it ahead. But, Lord, I know that you will take care of me because you are the God who cares and loves. That's what faith is. So he's telling, Paul is telling the church 
at Thessalonica. Hey, your work of faith, you're on it. You're on it. Let's look at the next one. And he says in verse 3, and then, and your labor of love. Your labor of love. Your labor of love. The mark of an authentic believer. The mark of an authentic believer is that we love one another. That we love one another. That we care for one another. That we're there. That it's more than just a, I know you, but it's, I, I know you, I love you, and I care for you. And I hear it all the time in this church, call me if you need help. Call me if, the, if something happens. You know, there's this care um, for one another. It's obeying Jesus' words in John 13 where he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. But you know what? I'm going to take it a step further because Scripture takes it a step further. We're called to love everybody, all people, regardless of their religion, their faith, who they are, what they are, whatever their identity is. We are called to love all people. There's no room for hate in the Christian faith. Even with the wretches a wretch, because I used to be one of those wretches. There's no room for hate. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, he says, but I say to you, here it is, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even people that hate Christ, even people that hate Jesus, you know what our response is? We love you. We love you and we're here for you. And we don't respond in hate. So that's number two. So there's, uh, Paul's addressing their work of faith, uh, their labor of love. We, hope, we want to see this today in our church. And the third one there is, um, in verse 3, he says, and steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness of hope. What is hope? Hope is expectation of coming good. It's more than wishful thinking. It's, I know that I know that this is true. And I'm banking my future on it. And I'm banking my future on this hope that God is faithful. That God is faithful. That even in my dark, dark times, when things are difficult, when things aren't going the way they want, there's a song, there's a birdie in my heart, and it's singing. Because I know that God will provide. God will take care. You know, and, and there's hope for eternity. Talking about heaven and, and the rapture and, and eschatology, things to come. But again, I also want to make sure we understand that it's not only for eternity in the future, but it's also for this life. There's hope for our children when we see them making poor decisions and we pray for them and we intercede for them and we say, God, do your work in their life. You know, there, there, there's hope. There's expectation of coming good. Lord, you will be faithful in everything you say in your word. So that's, that's what Paul's praising them for. For their faith, for their love, and for their steadfastness. And then he says, and look at verse 4. He says, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. The apostle Paul here, right into the church at Thessalonica, he reminds them, as well as we need to be reminded, that you are loved. You are loved by God. And don't let anyone tell you anything else. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no, no matter how low you've gone, you are loved 
The Father loves you. And if you ever have any doubt, just look at the cross when he says, I love you this much. Where he spread his hands out at Calvary and was crucified. But God loves us. And what does the second thing he say here? You are chosen. You are chosen. Talking about election. When? When was I chosen? Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 4 says, God chose you before the foundation of the world. He chose you before the foundation of the world. That should make our hearts rest. That should give us faith. That should give us to just a, an overabundant joy knowing that our salvation is not depending on us, but it's dependent on God because he is the one that initiated this relationship with you. Before you were born, he went to Calvary. Before creation, he thought of you. He knew you, and he chose you. It's his plan. We're just responding to this beautiful gospel, to this beautiful plan that God has for all men who will, who will receive him as their Lord and Savior, who will repent who will believe. Sometimes, you know, throughout our Christian life, we have, sometimes we're on the mountains, sometimes we're in the valleys, but we need to be reminded when we're in the valley that God loves us, that God chose us, especially when we blow it. Especially when we blow it and we condemn ourselves. We need to lift ourselves up and believe the promise of Scripture. You know what? God loves me. And he stands ready to forgive me and let me get on with my life. Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, talking about election and, and, and predestination. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, it is a good thing God chose me before I was born because he surely would not have afterwards. <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we, we respond to him. And that he doesn't look at us and say, well, he's doing good and he's not. And it, it don't work that way. It don't work that way. He chose us because he loves us. Amen? Amen? Verse 5. Verse 5. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. What's Paul saying here in this verse? He's saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's preached, when it was preached to them, when Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, right before they went to Berea, when they preached, it says it came with a deep, penetrating effect on their life. The gospel penetrated to the deepest depths of their soul. And he mentions three ways. Let's look at them in verse 5. First, he says the gospel came in power. It came in power. That means it transformed them. It changed them. I remember in 1992, I was a sailor living in Virginia Beach, living the life of a sailor. You can, you can put your own thoughts and imaginations of that. But living the life of a sailor, and one Sunday morning I got up I said, I'm going to go to church. And I went to church. I went to Bethel Temple, Assembly of God Church in Hampton, Virginia. And I can't remember the message. I remember he was preaching on the cross, but I remember at the end of the service, I was down at the altar praying to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it changed everything. It changed everything. All of a sudden, the places I used to go on Friday and Saturday nights, I had no desire to go to those places. I was going to Bible studies. I was going to hang out with the Christian friends at Ruby Tuesdays. 
after Bible study and going places. There was just this change in my life. I didn't want to do those old things. I, w- I wanted God in my life. Every Friday afternoon, I was going to the Christian bookstore, getting new books to read and just growing in my faith. But there was a transformation that took place. And, and it had to be God. Because those were things, those, that old way of life, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was not a miserable sinner. I enjoyed my sin. I enjoyed living the way I did. But when I got saved, all of a sudden, the, the things I once loved, I now hated. And the things I once didn't care for, I now loved. I remember I called back and I told my mom what had happened. And they were, they were really worried about me. They weren't sure what had happened to me. Because they knew the David that, that went off to join the military. And now he's talking about Jesus and the Bible and going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, having fellowship. And just it was, a, it was a change. It was a transformation. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power, meaning a transforming change. And by the way, let me just say this. When a person gets saved, there were, in my life, when I got saved, there were things that instantly broke off in my life. There were, there were things that God gave me immediate liberty and gave me freedom. But it wasn't that way for everything. There, there were things that I struggled with in my life that were sin that I carried into my Christian life. And how did I break free of those things? Through discipleship. Through discipleship and through faithfulness. You don't come to, when you come to Christ, you're not all of a sudden perfect. Because if you were, God would rapture you away. But there's called growing. We talked about it earlier, sanctification. But there were things in my life that through discipleship, through accountability, he gave me freedom. And I got change in all those other areas of my life. So he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And here's the second one, in the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Somebody comes on the inside and takes up residence. Let's look at it in John 14, 16 through 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. And right there it is, look right there, and will be in you. When a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your heart. There's this physical body we can touch, but then there's a spiritual, immaterial part of us in each and every one of us called our spirit or our spirit man. And the Holy Spirit comes down and dwells inside your spirit man. This is, how we, this, is how you're, this is how you know you're ready for the rapture. That you're in a right relationship with God. That you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside. And then continues in verse 5 after he talks about the Holy Spirit coming in you. And it says, he uses the word and, so that's a third item, and with full conviction. The NASB says full conviction. Some of your translations say full assurance. In other words, he just gives you this, on the in, this, this thing on the inside of you. We call it faith. We call it conviction. You just know it's true. 
you just know is true. You've read John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Truth is that which conforms to reality. It's real. You know it's true. You know it's true. And let me say something to this, about this. We embrace that conviction. We embrace that truth. But let me tell you, the world has it also. The world knows it also. They just, they just suppress it. They just reject it. They just push it away. But all people, God has given all men knowledge of who he is and the truth of him. All you got to do is look around at creation. All you got to look at, at the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, creation, the human eye, the, 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 the birth of a, of a baby, the supernatural miracle of a husband and wife coming together, and it produces life. The evidence is all around us. The evidence is all around us. And when people suppress it, but when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you open your heart up. He gives you full conviction that this is true and that you can bank on it for your life. I know I am. I recently watched a documentary called The American Gospel. Beautiful documentary. It talks about us getting the gospel right. It's a two-hour documentary. I could go on and on and talk about it, but I want to talk about my, the most, my, my favorite part of it, and it was this, where they said, many people will say that the gospel is for the lost, and it is for the lost. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to be preached to the lost, but the gospel is also for us, the church. And we need to preach it to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. That Jesus, that, that we are forgiven, that we have this new life because of our repentance and our faith and our belief and our trust in him. And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis so that these deep convictions stay because the world wants to take them away. They do. I, Guys, I, I, I know and I've experienced it myself. And I've seen people who are strong in the faith, living for Christ, doing great and mighty things. And they fade away. They fade away. I've heard some Christians say, um, I've done moved on to maturity. I'm beyond the cross. I, 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 I've, I went through the cross. I've looked at the gospel. I believe it. I trust it. And now I'm moving on to more important things. No, no. We need to preach that gospel to ourselves when you're going down the road, when you're, when you're at work. Just remind yourself of this beautiful, glorious gospel so that th these things can work in our life. This power. Remember I said, when you come to Christ, you're not perfect. You still have sin in your life that has to be dealt with through discipleship, through accountability. But one thing that will help is that you preach the gospel to yourself and you remind yourself that you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. His power has transformed you. God, give me deep, deep conviction of the truths of the Bible. Let that be our prayer so that we're not moved, we're not swayed, but we're moving forward in our relationship with Christ. The gospel is for us even after you become a believer we should, you should still preach it to yourself and remind yourself. And that's in verse 5. Let's look at halfway through verse 5. I, I, I love that. 
All scripture is inspired by God. There's, there's nothing here that's not profitable. There's nothing here that we should, oh, let's just pass over that. Let's look at it all. The second half of verse 5, he says, Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What is Paul saying here? He's saying this, that your character, my character, it counts in our witness. It counts in our witness. We can't live like the world, do ways like the world, and then go out and tell others about Jesus and expect them to believe us. We have to live the life. Part of, um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the gospel does go forth in word. You know, we have to preach the gospel, we have to read the gospel, and it goes forth in word. But let's also keep in mind that the way we live our life is a witness. It, it, it is a witness of the gospel. You know, um, I think back to my life, to the men who impacted me the most when it came to my Christian faith. I think about two men, my, my original pastor, Ron Johnson, and my grandfather, Oscar Baker. They, uh, they have forever imprinted me with the truth of the gospel. Why? Because of the way they lived. Because of the way they lived. I, did, I just watched them for 20 to 30 plus years just live a faithful life. And so don't, don't discount your, your witness. Don't discount the way you live your life. That's very important in sharing the gospel. You know, don't, don't be going out and cussing like a sailor and living like the world and then turn around and try to tell the same people about Jesus. It don't work that way because they're going to call you out for your hypocrisy. Verse 6. Verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You know, we encourage people, hey, it's okay to be a role model. When you're following Christ, be a role model to, to, to other people. We're called to live humble, truthful, compassionate lives that do this. The, the characteristics of our life, they encourage other people to follow Christ. They see George living for the Lord, and, and they see how things are going in his life. And they, you know what? I want to follow him. I, I, want, I want to replicate. I'm all about that. You know, I see leaders that I admire their life, and, and I admire who they are and the impact they made. And I'm like, man, if, if it ain't broke, I'm not going to try to fix it. I'll just follow in their footsteps. You know, a lot, a lot of us do that with our parents. We, we follow in the footsteps of our mother or our father or our preacher. But, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. My question to you this morning is, do you have a role model? Do you have a role model? Do you have someone in your mind, in your heart, that you look up to when it comes to spiritual things? Let you ponder that for a moment. Is there someone in your life Man, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for the life they lived and the example. If there is someone, be thankful. Be thankful that you have that person in your life to encourage you and to, to lift you. I got, I got so <laughs> I don't want to go off on it, but I, I got so many memories of what those two men did in my life and how it impacted me. And one of them has passed away. One of them is still alive and is still 
impacting me today. I still follow my pastor who led me to Christ in 1992. He's pastoring a church down in uh, South Florida, and I go online and listen to him sometimes. He's still touching my life. It's, it's really cool. But we all need a role model. So now Paul's going uh, to bring it back in, and he's going to praise the, 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 the church at Thessalonica. Let's look at it, verses um, 7, 8, and 9. Okay. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Now, I told you all ago that the church at Thessalonica, Paul really praises. He praises and he, he's thankful for them. But what is it that he, he's, what are, what are some of the, the dynamics of the church at Thessalonica that Paul is praising? The first one is found in verse 7, where he says, uh, You became an example. An example. So the Thessalonians were an example for all the churches around. The church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, the church at Berea. You know, they're like, hey, follow these guys' example. Send some guys down here, see how they're doing church, see how they're embracing the gospel, and go back and replicate it. Go back and replicate it. Be an example. The second one point is uh, the Thessalonians' faith, it was solid. It was solid. Look at verse 8, halfway through verse 8. He says, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Wow. We have no need to say anything because your faith has gone forward. Their faith was solid. Their their faith was solid. At this point in in New Testament history, they didn't have the canon of the New Testament. They likely had some letters from Paul. And they had the Old Testament. But what they had received, they applied it to their lives. They applied it to their lives and and they applied it to what they were believing. So their faith was was solid. And and then also we see at the church at Thessalonica, their repentance. Their repentance towards God was authentic. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. What is repentance? When a person receives Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into their life, and the Holy Spirit gives them this gift, I like to call it, of repentance. Two parts in repentance. The first part of repentance is where he enables you to change your mind about Jesus. No longer just this historical no-name figure, but you believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. But there's also a second part of repentance that the New Testament talks about. And it's where the Holy Spirit gives us this gift. God's goodness leads us to it where we turn from our sin. We forsake the old life and we turn to Jesus Christ. So it's like a change of direction. 
They were going this way. They were walking away from Christ. Now they've turned to Christ. They were living in sin, and now they've, they've gone to God and said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I apologize, and I turn away from it. And it says here in verse 9, it says, how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Idols, that was way back then. That's not for today. We don't have idols today, do we? <laughs> An idol is anything that you place before Christ. Our family can be an idol. Our job can be an idol. The things that we own can be an idol. And, 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 and we have to put those things in their proper place. We enjoy our family. We enjoy our job. We enjoy those things, but we never place them above the Lord. Those can become idols. And we place him first. And we put everything in perspective. Let's look at verse 10. As I said in the very beginning, uh, each chapter in 1 Thess Thessalonians ends with a, uh, a reference to the rapture. Verse 10 it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus. Where is Jesus at today? Where is he at at this very moment? Where is he at? He is in a place called the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, 2, where Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place. There is a place above. We don't know its geographical location, whether it's in eternity beyond the realm of the universe or if it's a, a place, but he is in a place called the third heaven in his glorified state, seated at the right hand of the Father, receiving worship from the angels and from those who have gone on before us. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's, it's the, our, our praises on Sunday morning they rise from this place to that place called the third heaven. But one day, one day, that, there, that's eternity. This is time. All I can talk about is the time to hear now. But one of our days here on earth, our schedule is going to get interrupted. Things are not going to be going as they have always have been. Our day will be interrupted where Jesus Christ will come again. And we call it the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive shall remain, shall be caught up together and with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. And I love what Paul says next. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words, the parousia, the blessed hope that one day he's going to come again. And we want to be ready. We want to be ready. Does this mean that we need to go uh, dig an underground 
cave and, and store our food and go hide up in the mountains and get a cabin and get all our shotguns and, and, and prepare for some kind of apocalyptic event? No, that's not how we get ready for the return of Christ. I'm going to save that for the end. Let's, let's just finish looking at this verse. But I'm going to tell you how to be ready for the return of Christ. But it's not. It's none of those things I just said. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus. And it says right here, who rescues us from the wrath to come. If you go over, you don't have to go there, but just write a little note. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's called Jacob's Trouble. If you look at the book of Revelation, the church is mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And then you get to Revelation 4, 1. And uh, John the Apostle says, and after these things, we see no mention of the church from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 20. What is all that going on in the book of Revelation? It's very hard to understand. Dragons and beasts and, 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 and kings and all that stuff happen. We believe it is God turning his attention back to the nation of Israel. Back to the nation of Israel to revive them and to bring them back. And we believe that's a seven-year period that we call the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation, we're going to talk, I'm going to get deep into this here in about three weeks. When we get to, uh, when we get to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we will slow down and we will talk about the rapture and we'll talk about the different views and we'll, we'll look at everything the Bible says. We'll talk about the, uh, the rapture versus the second coming of Christ. We'll, 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 we'll break down all those things when we get there. But there's going to be this seven-year period where God is turning his attention back to the nation of Israel. Paul repeats this phrase in verse 10, in chapter 1, verse 10, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater event that will happen in the history of man. We all know where we were on 9-11. We all know where, where we were when major events happened. But this event is going to shake the world. It's going to shake the world. And we need to be ready. Your salvation is not complete. He's going to give you a new body. Praise the Lord. Man, I, I just spent the past week and a half recovering from a back injury. Won't be no back injuries in heaven. Won't be no broken bones. There won't be no cancer. There won't be no diseases. Because I'm going to have a body. You're going to have a body as a believer in Christ. This can be free from all that. But there's no greater. How, how, so let's go back to my question that I was alluding to at the beginning of verse 10. How can I be ready? How can a person be ready? Do not go buy a cabin in the mountains and dig a burrow and store food and MREs and, and bottled water. That will not help you avoid. Um, that will not help you be ready for the rapture. How will you be ready? Let's take a look at it. Three words. Receive, repent, and believe. My friend, this is what the New Testament says is the gateway to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. This is it right here. It can be summarized in these three words. I'm going to talk about each one over here for a second. 
Number one, you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what, what we mean by that is you have to pray and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Come into my life. Come into my life. And when you do that, when you surrender, he will come into your heart. He will come into your soul. He'll come into your life by the Holy Spirit. And then God is gonna, God's going to give you the gift called repentance. And repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry for breaking your law. I'm sorry for breaking your commandments. I'm sorry for all the lying, the lusting, the dishonoring my parents. I'm sorry for all the times I broke your law. And it breaks your heart. And you just pour it out to God. It's called repentance. Where you, where, and you say, Lord, I'm done with the old life. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm turning away from the old sinful way of life. And I'm turning to this new life. That's repentance. And then you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you believe and know that he's coming again. You receive Jesus Christ. You, you repent of your sins. And you believe. And that, my friend, punches your ticket. To where I'll see you there or in the air. You ever heard that saying? We say, hey, Troy, I'll see you next week. I'm gonna, I'll see you there or in the air. That's how you can know that you're ready because you're in a right relationship with the creator of the universe. There's nothing more important than a person's eternal salvation. Nothing. Uh, it's something that, as I said earlier, you know, we, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We, we remind ourselves of these truths so that it takes deep root. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Father, if there be anybody here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, they have not received you as their Lord and Savior, they have not repented and put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would draw them. Draw them to yourself. Draw them to your grace that you offer. Lord, we love you. We praise you for working in our hearts and lives. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church. And Father, I lift up anyone that's here that's struggling with, whether they're saved or not. I pray, Lord, that they'll make a decision this morning. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to receive. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to believe and put my trust in you and begin this new journey. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this morning worship. In Jesus' name we pray.